Hey, good morning, Westside. It's really good to be here this morning with you, and this is a, a bit of a different Sunday that we have uh, in store for you. We call this really Vision Sunday, and what we really want to do is share from our heart as elders um, our vision for Westside and what we would like Westside to become and where we see Westside going, and we want you to join with us in that journey. So that's what, that's what um, Vision Sunday is, is meant to be about. And what it really is meant to be is really a continuation of the Reclaim Project. So if, if those of you remember um, the Reclaim Project, we had a town hall back in February of this year, and uh, the elders at the time kind of laid forth uh, some plans and some thoughts and some dreams about Westside. So if you remember, the Reclaim Project had a couple of things to it. First was just kind of to celebrate, to celebrate and affirm what God had done at Westside in its 40-plus year history. God has done some amazing things in our midst. But the other thing that um, wanted to happen too was as any uh, church that is around for a period of time, you're experiencing challenges. There are things that need to be improved upon. And at that town hall was laid out some plans on, on how to meet some of those challenges and how to work on some of those areas that needed um, improvement. And if you remember at that town hall, Jim Williams gave a metaphor on the Reclaim Project. And he said, it's a, it's a, the Reclaim Project is really like a house. It's like a house. My slide is stuck. If you could please advance to the house, that'd be amazing. So while they're doing that, uh, oh, there it is, yay team. Um, so uh, gotta love technology in this era, hey. So some of you might be familiar with that house. Some of you have actually been to that house. That is the house of my brother and sister-in-law in the highlands of Scotland. So that house has been around for about 100 plus years, and it's an older house. So one of the things Jim said at the town hall back in February was the Reclaim Project in Westside is kind of like that old house. It's, it's got a good foundation. It's got, it's, I think he used the phrase, good bones. It's got, it, it's solid. But over time, just like a, an older house that needs improvement, it needs repairs, and just needs some things to be tuned up, Westside is kind of like that as well. So that was kind of the metaphor that Jim gave, and I, and I think for a lot of us, that stuck. And then if, as you remember, after the town hall, uh, el uh, the elders asked for input on the Reclaim Project, and the vast majority of you said, hey, let's go forward with the Reclaim Project, and that's what we've been doing for the last several months. So what I really want to get into is really talking about vision. And I want to get us all on the same page when we talk about vision. And here's what vision really is, kind of a definition of it. It's the ability to think or plan the future with imagination or wisdom. The ability to think or plan the future with imagination or wisdom wisdom. And when you look through the scriptures, here's what you see. God casting vision time and time again, telling his people to go this way, providing direction and, and a path for them to go. And, and what we need really as people is we need a target. We got to know where we're heading. Because if we don't, here's a couple things that happen. Sometimes we drift. 
Sometimes we can get discouraged. Sometimes we can even despair. And sometimes we can just get off track and do things our own way instead of doing things the way God wants us. So I just want to make sure we're all on the same page here when we're talking about vision and direction. And you see it all throughout scripture. So when we talk about vision in the scriptures or when um, uh, your elders come uh, forth with a vision or direction, we really need to apply two what I call grounding principles. And they're this. The scriptures are always greater than visionary leadership. And the second principle is that the visionary leadership must always be in sync with God's word. That's what it has to be. And if so, let's go forward and let's see what God is gonna do in our midst. But those are the two kind of grounding principles that we have when any vision or direction is laid out by church leadership. So when I was thinking about, okay, uh, God lays out vision in the, in the scriptures, what are some examples of that? And there's like, I could probably give you about 30, but I don't have that period of time, so I'm going to give you two, okay? So here are the, here's the first one. And the first one, if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Genesis chapter uh, 12, a very familiar story. So um, for those of you who are not familiar with Genesis, there, uh, we're introduced to, to a guy named Abram, who later it becomes Abraham. And he's living in this place called Ur of the Chaldees. And then he moves to a place called Haran. Ur of the Chaldees is, is Babylon, which is modern day Iraq. And then he moves to this place called Haran, which is kind of modern day Turkey. And God kind of speaks to him one day. And God just kind of shows up. And he speaks to him audibly. And let's read this together. We'll pick it up in verse 1 there, chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So let's just stop right there. So, so God just shows up. And here's a guy who's, who's a pagan. He's living in this idolatrous place. And God shows up and he makes some incredible promises to him. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. Your name's going to be great. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed through you. That's what I want to do for you. And so what does he do? We see it there in verse 4. Skip over to verse 5. And this is what it says. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his, son, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to, to the land of Canaan. So Canaan is kind of modern-day Israel. So he's, he's there in, in modern-day Turkey. He's going he's gonna to pick up everything he has. So imagine that. You picking up absolutely everything you have. You hear the voice of the Lord and you go. And that's what he does. He obeys in faith. He moves ahead. And here's what we see and we know that through that promise, what we learn later on comes who? The Messiah. Through Abram comes the messianic line. And what we see is that through that messianic line comes the Lord Jesus Christ, who would be the Savior of 
of the world. You have this massive promise that Abram is given. Abram obeys. And through that, God brings forth the Lord Jesus. And if you remember what was said about the Lord Jesus, you shall give him the name Jesus. Because what? He will save his people from their sins. Not only his people, but everyone who puts their faith in him and him alone. So God uses this man, Abram, to do some incredible things by faith. And so another individual that kind of came to my mind as I was thinking about vision and direction was this guy named Nehemiah. Now again, some of you know the story of Nehemiah. Well known if you've grown up in church circles. If you haven't, here's the story of Nehemiah basically. Nehemiah is a Jew. He's living in exile. He's, in the, he's, in the, he's under, under the rule of King Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes is, is the Persian king. It's, it's one of the most powerful empires of the day. Nehemiah had a special job. His job was to be a cupbearer. So you're like, what the heck is a cupbearer? Okay, we don't really have these today. Okay, here's what a cupbearer did. Back then it was a high, high importance position. You basically tasted the food and you tasted the drink of the king. So uh, if it was poisoned, the king didn't get axed, you got axed. Okay, that was his, that was his job, all right? But um, it was a trusted position. So, um, so Nehemiah is there and he, he gets a report. And this is, I want to read to you. So if you have your scriptures, flip over to Nehemiah chapter 1. We'll pick up in verse 1. And one of my brothers came with certain men from Judea, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So at that time, Israel is a conquered nation. They're under the rule of the Persian Empire. He gets, he being Nehemiah, gets this report at that, at that basically the walls are broken down, the, the gates are broken down, and he is in despair. So why would we care about that, okay? This is something city walls. We live in cities without walls today, okay? You got to remember, fast forward thousands of years, city walls were a big thing back then. They did a couple of things. They provided defense. They provided safety. When you had opposing armies coming around you, guess what? Do you think you wanted a wall? Yeah, we want a wall to protect us, okay? And it was also a symbol of, of, of kind of city or national pride. Man, if you, if you had strong, solid walls, that was something that you felt good about. So here, the people are, are downtrodden. They're under the uh, rule of, of the Persian Empire, and uh, things are not going well for them. But God works in the heart of Nehemiah. And so this is what happens. We'll continue on. Swip, uh, skip over to chapter 2 there. So this is what happens. So Nehemiah is before the king. And uh, when you go before the king, you want to be generally happy because if you upset the king with all sorts of power and authority, guess what he can do to you? Like off with your head. So one day Nehemiah shows up in the king's presence and he's sad and he's downtrodden. And so he gets asked this and he gets asked like, so Nehemiah, what, what's going on here? What is wrong with you? What, what, would, what would you like me to do? And so he kind of tells what's going on. And, and so then he makes this request. Nehemiah prays and then he makes this request. We'll pick up in verse uh, 4 of chapter 2. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Or basically, what are you asking? Tell me what you want. 
So I prayed to the Lord God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. So just think about this for a moment. So Nehemiah, the, the cupbearer, he has this vision. God puts on his heart a desire to rebuild the, the city, Jerusalem and its the walls and the gates. And this is a Persian king. This is, this is kind of a pagan king. And what, what we find out later, if you read the story, is that, uh, is that he not only provides him, he says, not only yes, he provides him with the resources to do that. He provides him with an armed escort to get there. And then when Nehemiah gets there, further on in chapter 2, this is what it says. Then I arose in the night, and I had a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. So sometimes when God provides vision or direction, what you're going to see is he'll speak audibly. So sometimes, I mean, I've actually heard that sometimes where I'm just like, this is what you need to do, just like Abraham. But oftentimes what you hear is God puts it in your heart. You know, it's that, it's that still small voice that goes into your heart. You're led by the spirit and you know you're just supposed to do that. So let's continue to pick up the story here. So continuing on, so Nehemiah is given this massive task to do that he feels God has put on his heart. So let's skip over to chapter 6. This is what it says there in verse 15. So the wall was finished in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of who? With the help of our God. So if you're, if, if you're kind of an a Old Testament history buff, the walls and gates of Jerusalem had been down for about a hundred years, right? About a hundred years. In 52 days through uh, Nehemiah's leadership from him moving forth in faith and relying upon the Lord and, um, and they is able to rebuild the walls. And here's a principle for you that when you study like vision and direction, here's what you see when God gives massive things for us to do. He can do unbelievable things. When we hear his call and when we trust him and move forward in reliance upon him for the results, God shows up and in his will can do some incredible things. And that's what we as elders here are believing for Westside. So um, here's, a, here's a thing. So I've been, a, I think I've been an elder like almost 10 years here. And, uh, and here's one of the things that I hear, uh, two things that I've heard kind of frequently as critiques of the elders. So here's, uh, here they are. Number one, tell us precisely what we're about. Okay? And number two, tell us where we're going. Tell us precisely what we're about. Tell us where we are going. All right, so, um, so what we're about, okay, let's, let's hit on, let's define that. I mean, obviously the scriptures ground us and guide us. But how do we kind of winnow that down a little bit? Well, we have a couple of things. We have our statement of faith, okay? We have our mission statement that we unveiled a couple of weeks ago. We have our core values that we unveiled a couple of weeks ago. We have our vision that we're going to be sharing with you here in a couple minutes. And then we also have our church handbook. And all of those items you can find on the website or you can 
and talk to one of the elders, like, what are we precisely about? That's it, okay? But really tell us where we're going. That's what we want to be able to provide with you with better clarity. And in all honesty, we haven't done the best of jobs of that over the years, but we want to significantly, as I would say, up our game in that area. Kind of tell you the burden that God has placed on our hearts. So, before we go any further, before we talk about vision, I want to hit again mission and our core values because these are guiding principles, guiding statements here at Westside. So if you remember a couple weeks ago, I kind of rolled out our, our, our mission for Westside. And it's really simple. And you know the great thing about it? It comes directly from the mouth of our Lord Jesus Christ. So love God, love people, make disciples. Love God, love people, make disciples. So the first two, love God, love people, those are the two greatest commandments. And then the Great Commission, make disciples. And then we have seven core values here at Westside. The, the first four are on the screen there. Is, is Christ above all. It's all about him. He's the preeminent one. He's the one that we want to lift up. And then we want, we, want to be, um, gospel, we want to be about the gospel. The gospel is what changes lives. And we want to take that in a missional approach into to our culture because if you've noticed our, our culture is pretty jacked up right now and it needs the message of Jesus and we want to be grounded in the scripture or scripture led it's, it's scripture that changes lives in, in, in conjunction with the power of the Holy Spirit and then you've heard a lot about discipleship we want to be discipleship driven we want to see people come to uh, faith in Jesus Christ we want to see them grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ and you know what we want to see we want to see that cycle repeated again and again and again other three, we want to be a place that's about relationships. We want to be relationship, uh, we want to be growing in our relationships. We were never meant to follow Jesus alone. We were always meant to do it in community with one another. And then humility, humility in everything. So as our Lord Jesus Christ, as he stooped on the night that he was going to be betrayed and washed people's feet, you know what? We want to be humble toward one another. We want to be humble in that posture to our God as well. And then finally, love saturated. We just, we just want love to um, just, just um, cover us and our love for God and our love for one another. So that's our, that's our seven core values. So now let's talk about what we want Westside to become. Or what, where do we want this? If we, if on, on our, the heart of our elders here, where do we want Westside to be in five years? This is what he's kind of put on our heart. First off, we want to faithfully proclaim the gospel. We want to do that every Sunday here. We want that to permeate our life groups. That's what we want to be about. And we want to see people come to saving faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we gave a number here. We, wouldn't it be great if we had a 10 people a year coming to know Jesus Christ who are not part of the, the, our community here and part of the Westside family come to faith in Jesus Christ to be baptized and to grow in their grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we want to do is with the Westside family that we grow together in our love for um, each other and um, our maturity with the Lord. And then we want discipleship to be part of our DNA. Not just part of Westside overall, but if you had to chop Westside up in every one of these ministries, we want that, that, that philosophy of discipleship to be there throughout all of Westside. So what else do we want to see Westside become? We want it to thrive. 
We want to see a thriving place. And a couple things came to mind Sunday schools, right? Sunday schools. Where do most uh, uh, people come to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? It's in your, it's in your um, before age 18. So, uh, so it's Sunday schools. We want to see that thrive. Some great things are going on in our Sunday school right now. We want to see 75 plus kids up there. We want to pack the back area of, of this building with kids. And then also too, youth groups. We want to see our youth groups thrive. We have some great things going on in our youth groups right now. We have some great leaders, but we want to see that place packed out as well. 30 to 40 kids growing in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want strong life groups. We want to be authentic in those life groups and where we know one another. We want to love each other. And then as, as things grow, we want to branch or start new life groups here at Westside. And then two, we want to have an impact in our communities. We want to partner with other, with other local churches to meet the needs of our, the practical needs of our communities. And when we do that, we're taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with us. And then too, have you looked around these days? Um, people are hurting. People are broken. People need help. So, you know what we want to do? We want to help them in certain areas that they need help. So whether that's marriage, marriage classes, whether that's parenting, whether that's financial, whether that's addiction recovery, whatever it is, we want to be able to meet those needs of those people. And again, taking the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. And then we want to branch. We want to start. Uh, wouldn't it be great that within five years that we are starting another local church in an area of, of, um, of this tri-county area that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach more people for him. And then finally, just a, a, a dream of ours is to um, really see people from all ethnicities, from all age groups, this, this multicultural, uh, multi-generational kind of locking arms coming together to hear the life-saving message of Jesus and growing in him. And then if you've also noticed our culture, our culture right now is full of strife, it's full of division. It's full of antagonism. Antagonism. We want to be a people here who are full of grace, who are full of forgiveness, who are full of gentleness, and full of kindness. That's the kind of people that we want to be a part of. And so this is a, it's, it's a, this is a massive vision that we've laid out for you. So I guess, um, I guess here's the ask of the elders. Here's our ask right now. And it's a, it's a pretty simple one. We want you to lock arms with us. We want you to lock arms with us. We want you to, to come together with us to um, uh, achieve what God has put on our hearts here. And that moving out in obedience and moving out in faith in him, seeing what God can do through us. And you know, I, I gave you the example of Abram. I gave you the example of, of Nehemiah. Those are massive things. And I'm sure when both of them took on those tasks, they're like, how is this going to happen? But you know what? Linking arms together, moving forward in the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe God can work powerfully and the elders believe God can work powerfully through us to do incredible things here at Westside. And who gets the glory for all of that? Our Lord Jesus Christ, because he is the worthy one. So my question to you is, um, before Dan comes up, is um, will you link arms with us? So I'm going to kick it over to Dan right now. Thanks, Kennedy. Uh, yeah, so the, um, as we 
I mean, when Kennedy talks about a kind of church like that, I go, who wants in? Yeah, me. I mean, of course, we all want to have, be a part of a church that's like that, that's thriving in our children's ministry, that's got a thriving youth group, that is, you know, discipling one another, that's outreached, oriented. I mean, what, what an amazing kind of church that would be to be a part of. It. Hello? Yeah, okay. I was, I was like, obviously, let's start with the easy stuff. Um, yeah, so, man. When we think about what, what a great vision that is, it's so encouraging, but it can also be really overwhelming because we look at that and we go, how in the world are we going to do that? So we've got a zillion hows. We've got a whole bunch of things. We've, we've put them into some, some language that we call strategic anchors. So it's, it, they're, they're strategic in that this is like a strategy. This is how we see this playing out. But they're more principle driven than they are about uh, like we're going to do this at this time like this. So um, with all those, I, I, we thought the best way to present these might be to just give you three, keep it simple, three steps. So number one, we're going to talk about we want to look outward. Number two, we want to look inward. And number three, we want to look upward. Who didn't see that last one coming? Look up, of course, yeah, yeah. Um, but first, we want to talk about, we, we need to look outward. In order to see this vision be, uh, be accomplished, we need to look outward. We must missionally engage our culture. Westside, as Kennedy said, we, God has put us in a place here. He has put us in a time here where the needs of the people around us, he has made some of us those native speakers. So he has designed you and he has designed me to reach this generation. So many times we talk about the, the culture around us like it's this terrible, terrible thing and how in the world can we engage it? But guess what? God put you here and he gave you a mission. God put me here and he gave me a mission. And I don't have to wonder what it is. I don't have to try to make up something really clever. It's go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. He gave it to us. And he put you here. And he put us right in this time and in this location. So now the, the baton is in your hands, Westside. What are we going to do with it? And we want to encourage us to look outward, to look at the world around us. And part of that means that we want to remove all unnecessary barriers for those who don't come from a church background. Have you ever been to somebody's house who clearly does not have people over frequently? And I'm not trying to discourage those who don't have people frequently. Anyway, the, like if you go over to somebody's house and you're like, whoa, who put this together, right? It's, you can, sometimes there's like the like the couch that looks just totally out of place, but they're so used to it because it's just like, well, this is home. This is just what our, is just the couch that we had. Every once in a while, we've got parts like that that we just got some, some church-only language. Sometimes we have insider language only that we use occasionally. And what we want to do is we want to help us remove all unnecessary barriers. Now, there are some barriers that are going to exist. When you tell people your sin has separated you from a holy God who created you and has a purpose and plan for your life, and you're defying him right now, and if you stand apart from him, you're going to be judged for eternity. That's a little bit of a barrier, right? Hello? Yeah, so I, what I would suggest is let's let that be the barrier, but let's not put up additional ones. 
Secondly, it means meeting our community where they're at with the gospel, uh, with, with the gospel through service like Celebrate Recovery, encouraging foster care, and other practical helps. There are so many needs, so many practical ways that we can step in and start meeting some of the needs of the world around us here, right here, with the hope of the gospel. And it takes time, it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes people. Sometimes it means pulling people from one ministry and putting them into something like this. And that's hard, those are hard decisions to make. But that's why Kennedy asked us, let's lock arms, let's go, let's move forward together, right? The second part of this is to look inward. And what I mean by that is, is that we want to look at how we are doing things, is what we are doing and how we are doing it, the best way to accomplish our mission. Our mission is to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. So we want to prioritize discipleship. What actually helps people grow? That's the question that we want to be asking in what we're doing and how we're doing it. So that means that we want to define pathways of growth. We want to show you what does it look like to grow from where you're at to where you can go. So, and I've, this has been my observation, just anecdotally, personally, this has been my observation for a long time. Westside has historically been a really great church to grow if you're fairly spiritually mature when you get here. But if you come and you really don't know what's what, it can be kind of an intimidating place because so many people here know their Bibles so well. And when you come into this, it can be like, whoa, everybody's using words I don't understand. They're talking about concepts that I don't understand. How in the world do I get there? And it would seem that our only answer at times is just kind of read the Bible for 90 years, or sorry, over, 90 is overstating it, but read the Bible for a really long time, right? And yet what we want to do is we want to show how, how did you grow? If you're one of those people that knows the Lord well, you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, how did you grow? And help the next generation do that. We need to define pathways of growth. We want to mobilize the older generation, our more mature brothers and sisters here, mobilize you to disciple the next generation. God, God's good news and his work of the gospel did not come to you to stop with you. The good news of the gospel came to you to change you and to move through you and to do that in someone else's life. That's why it comes to you. That this is why Jesus has done this for us so that we can pass it on to others. And so what does it take? How can you be mobilized to connect with, to disciple the next generation? That's one of the things that is an important part of our strategy here as leadership is we need to see there be less, fewer generational silos. Do you know what I mean by that? Where there's this generation here and then there's this generation over here and there's very little overlap. Very little happening between the two of them. So our youth ministry is actually an amazing example of great generational overlap. We've got a life group who is totally investing in our youth, which is awesome. And we want to see that be more than just like a one-off. We want to see that everywhere here at Westside. We also need to, if we're going to look inward, we need to support discipleship through administration and systems. And what that means is we're not just going to say like, yeah, we're get, we've got all these ideas and we're just going to kind of hope for the best. 
What it means is that we want to plan out, well, how can we help make sure that, um, that discipleship is happening in this, in this ministry over here? How could we do our best to really make sure that, that the goals and mission of the church is really being reflected over here in, say, women's ministry or, say, in youth ministry or Sunday school, whatever? How could we best do that? We need to support discipleship through administration and through systems that help us kind of define what the goal is, see how we're doing at it, are we hitting the target, and if not, what are the course adjustments that we need to make? I've used this term many times, but it's one of my most endearing terms of Westside. Sometimes we are kind of wild, wild Westside, where it's just, you know, in the wild, wild West, it was like everybody just kind of shows up at the bar and you just kind of, everybody's kind of law enforcement kind of. And, it, you know, just, everybody just kind of does their own thing. We can't be wild, wild West side. I'm sorry. I know it's like the most fun thing to be, but we can't be wild, wild West side. What we need to do is we need to say, what is the best way for me to help others grow? What's the best way for me to grow and what's the best way for me to help other people grow? So we want to do that through, we want to support discipleship through administration and systems. And one of the things that we've seen here over and over again is that because of a lack of margin in our lives, many of us have experienced burnout. Have you ever heard of ministry burnout? Have you ever experienced ministry burnout? Where you're going and you're going hard and you look around and you go like, I don't know if I can keep doing this. But then you also keep going because you feel like, well, if I stop, is anybody else going to keep doing it with me or for me or in, in my place? We need to protect one another from that kind of burnout. It's happening. It's happening here at Westside. It's happening all around us. Is you know, there's a there's a there's a hole and somebody jumps in to fill it. And that person just kind of on a temporary basis jumps in to fill a hole and that temporary thing becomes three months, becomes six months, becomes six years. And before you know it, someone's burned out and I just can't do anything anymore. Westside, we need you. All the plans in the world, all the, all the great stuff in the world, it's not going to keep... Um, we cannot fulfill the Great Commission without everyone here locking arms and saying, I am in. I am in, Lord. So uh, we want to also identify key roles to help support growth. So one of the things, the other things that's very difficult about doing ministry here uh, is it's, it's, there are a lot of opportunities, which is great, and yet, at the same time, one of the things that's hard is that if, if you're a Sunday school teacher, you find yourself, or for example, you find yourself kind of having to make up the stuff. And you got to kind of like, man, what am I going to do this week? You kind of have to be both the teacher and the admin and self-administrator. And that can be kind of overwhelming. You know, if, if you're a youth leader, there's not a whole lot of like training and guidance and, and you know, e equipping. So what we want to do is we want to see people equipped to do the work of the ministry. You know, that's one of the the jobs of the elders, one of the few job descriptions actually in the New Testament is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. That's part of our job. And we've been doing a lot of ministry, but maybe not as much equipping as we could do. And we want to change that. So we've actually got a proposal. Well, we've got, it's more of an idea, this one is. 
uh, we've got an idea. And, uh, and we're just, we're, this is also unprecedented, Westside. We're bringing you an idea. It's not a full-blown proposal. We don't have a job description for this yet. But we're throwing out ideas, and we want to hear what you think about this. But we've been talking for a while about the idea of someone coming on board, whether full-time or part-time, to help us in administrative discipleship, which that's not a really cool term. So the, the coolest term we could come up with for this is director of discipleship. And that just seemed to kind of capture the idea and not sound super nerdy. So director of discipleship. And what the idea would be is that this person would help us implement all these plans, all these strategies into ministries. Because otherwise, these are just great ideas that never get implemented, right? It's like that, that diet that I know that I could totally lose 25 pounds if I did it. I just don't actually do it, right? And it's kind of the same way with this. I think these are some really great ideas. We've been praying about these. We've been laboring over these for a long time. But honestly, we've got seven elders, and we are all drowning. And we're not going to be able to pull this off without some, someone really dedicating some of their time. And so we'd ask that you'd pray with us about that. And, and if, you, uh, if you've got some ideas, let us know what you think about that. But pray with us about it. And, and think about it here. We'd love to get your feedback next week at the town hall. Or if you want to hit the idea box back there, throw some stuff in there too. We do have another proposal though for you, which we're really excited about. We have got a, um, we've had a suddenly growing Sunday school. Have you guys noticed that? Have you all noticed that? Are you praising the Lord for that, by the way? We sure are. We've loved seeing what God is doing through Kids Connect, through the Sunday school teachers. Uh, I mean, we, Westside was like, did a major dip for a while. And it was just so hard coming back from COVID. But as we've done it, our Sunday school, we're not calling them a committee. It's a Sunday school team. Thank you, Kennedy. Just, just between us. Don't use the word committee with Kennedy. He's just against it. It's, it's really team is what, and I, and I forget all the time, so thank you. So we're, we're doing Sunday school team. Um, so the Sunday school team, they've been working hard. They've been putting a lot of things together, but there is still an overwhelming burden. And so we've, we've tried to figure out how can we help the Sunday school team? How can we help the Sunday school teachers? How can we help the, um, the, the people in, working in Kids Connect? How can we help the nursery? All these parts. How can we do all this? It, we, we decided to, to call it this, a children's ministry coordinator. And this role is one of facilitating and encouraging what's happening. So it's, it's one of really coming alongside people who are doing the ministry of teaching and, and leadership. It's coming alongside them and helping facilitate, helping make sure that there are people in the right places. Um, it's coordinating things like Sunday school, nursery, Kids Connect. We've got some other ideas of what things might look like here in the future uh, for, for life groups meeting here possibly and like a a, a larger children's ministry during a Wednesday night type of a thing. Um, the, uh, the need is really in, uh, in facilitating and encouraging those in ministry with tools. And so we've been praying and seeking the Lord about what does this look like and who is somebody who could do this. And as we've been praying about it and talking with some people, uh, Brittany Hostinick has said that she would be interested in doing this. So this is a huge answer to prayer for us. And so what we've been talking about with Brittany is the, and, and the deacons has been a part-time job. And we wanted to get your input on it. 
So it's a, it's a part-time job. We can send you out the details. We can send that out in an email um, so we don't just labor over all of them right now. But the big idea is it's one of equipping, encouraging our Sunday school team and our nursery people and the people working in Kids Connect and combining those things all together and facilitating all that. So if you've got questions about that, make sure to hit us up um, and be looking for that in the email. Um, and the last way that we look here is we look upward, right? So we look outward, we look inward, and we look upward. We look to Jesus to work through us. All the plans in the world, the best plans in the world are going to go nowhere if Jesus isn't in it. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. And I was thinking about, uh, uh, I'm, I'm reading through Matthew with a, with a couple of brothers here, and um, we're, we're looking at uh, Matthew 14 here, Jesus feeds the 5,000. I love this. Um, Jesus sees the hungry people and he says, you give them something to eat, right? You give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, what in the world can we give them? We have nothing, right? So we, they just, they kind of scrounge up their stuff. They give it to Jesus. And then Jesus multiplies it and, and spreads it out. And it's, and it's not only is it enough. You know the story, right? It's more than enough. There's extra left over. But what I've learned with uh, going, going through this, Matthew with a couple of brothers here lately has been seeing that just a little after that, Jesus had the experience with another big crowd. The 4,000. You remember this? Then Jesus called his, and this is in Matthew 15, then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, the disciples, by the way, who had picked up the 12 basketfuls from the feeding of the 5,000 just before, they had seen his miraculous provision, and Jesus again, same kind of thing, same kind of language, same kind of issue, and the disciples are like, what? They say, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? I think that was kind of an honest question. They were like, how in the world are we going to do this? And Jesus' response to them was not, you are so stupid. Do you, don't you remember one chapter ago? I know he wouldn't have said one chapter ago, but it's so cool if he did. But like, don't you remember one chapter ago? I just met all your need and you had 12 baskets left over. But he didn't say that. He could have said, are you serious? Like, don't you guys trust me? Don't you guys trust me? He could have said that. That would have been a legit response from Jesus. But instead, this is how Jesus answers. How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? Westside, we are sitting in a building that we thought there was no way that this might ever get done. That was like 20 years ago. We're sitting here in a building and sometimes we look at where God might want to lead us and it gets a little overwhelming because we go, oh my goodness, I can't see that happening. And I feel a little bit like Jesus is like, okay, what's your budget? How many loaves do you have? And I would love to encourage us, Westside, to stop focusing on how few loaves we have and trust our Savior. Let's stop focusing on how few loaves we have and let's put what we do have in the hands of the master and let's trust him to do what he commanded us to do. 
to fulfill that in us and through us. Um, one of the last ways we need to look up is that we need to pray. And we want to invite you to pray with us. But right now, I want to invite all the elders to come on up with me here on the stage, if you would, please. And we want to pray that God would see this through. These ideas, all this stuff is way beyond us. We can't make this happen. No amount of planning can do it. It's only God being at work in and through us. So if you guys would come on up, let's just come on up here and let's, let's just pray to the Lord. Yeah, Lord, we just, we want to just, uh, we want to link arms and just say thank you for leading us. Thank you for being so faithful to provide for us every step thus far. And Lord, we, uh, we, we don't have much, but we put it in your hands and we trust you to do your work through us. Lord, would you continue to lead us in these things that you've put in our hearts, these things that you've put in others' hearts to accomplish would you do it for your glory and our good? In Jesus' name, amen.